listening to the Soil Talk podcast. I am your host, Tim Mundorf, Nutrient Management Lead with Central Valley Ag. In Soil Talk, we will dive into managing soil fertility and applied nutrients while pursuing top yield. So, Mick, today we've got a, a guest with us, uh, Chris Reimers with Sechi Agri-Engineering. We're going to talk today a little bit about uh, manure application and using manure as fertilizer and just maybe a little different than what you'd expect a co-op to talk about. You know, what's your history with using uh, manure as fertilizer? Well, Tim, you know, I grew up, my grandparents had a dairy farm and so they utilized their manure efficiently. And over the years, I've recommended a lot of guys to use manure to correct some issues that they couldn't necessarily do financially with, with fertility problems. So, Chris, I guess my first question for you is what does Sechi Agri-Engineering do? Thanks for having me here today, Tim. Uh, yeah, Sechi Agri-Services, I've been with them now for about six years. Uh, pretty much a broad-spectrum uh, livestock facility consulting design company based out of Raymond, Nebraska. Um, we basically, like I said, do full spectrum all the way from uh, design permitting of new construction, uh, primarily in the beef and swine industry of facilities, uh, as well as uh, add-ons and, uh, and rebuilds, renovations of existing facilities. Um, again, primarily, uh, I'd say about 80% of our work's here in the state of Nebraska, but do a lot of work in neighboring states, uh, South Dakota, Iowa, Minnesota. Um, aside from uh, engineering and permitting kind of being where we got our start, uh, do a lot of compliance for, for those uh, customers, uh, doing the agronomy and, and compliance side of, of rate selection and on, on the manure application. Um, we've also recently got uh, heavily involved in the construction side of things, um, seeing a lot of growth on the, on the poultry and swine things um, with, with being pretty large in the beef side of that going on 20 years now. But uh, me, myself, I primarily am based out of Northeast Nebraska here. Um, just general sales and relation on all those uh, departments um, with the focus of my time being on agronomy compliance and, and manure application. So when you talk about agronomy compliance and manure application, your job is to make sure those uh, livestock producers aren't overplying manure, they're matching whatever their permit says they're supposed to do, and you're trying to move some of that manure out onto acres maybe they haven't got a long history of manure already? Correct, correct. I'd say well, as far as manure goes, when we look at over application, there's kind of two ways to look at that. One, at what rate can we get away with applying that and, and meeting all our check marks on the compliance side with, with the NDEQ. Um, but also really anytime we're not applying that manure in a way we can get the most economic return, really we are over applying as well. So seeing how many acres we can impact with that manure and, uh, and really uh, meet as many of our, uh, of our nutrient needs as possible on as many acres as possible. You know, when we talk about that and you think about uh, agronomically applying manure, I think a lot of times you know, maybe in the past we've missed the agronomy side of it. We've focused a lot on disposing of manure and, and, you know, getting the manure off the lots and getting it out onto the field, but just taking the time to make the make that agronomically correct application means a lot to me. And manure is not just BS, is it, Mick? No, it's not, Tim. It's loaded with nutrients and, and it's a product that we can really take advantage of agronomically and, and get applied where it needs to be at the right rates. 
uh, versus 20 years ago when we just walked, went out there with the manure spreader and opened the gate and let it fly, we can variable rate that manure now, and, and that's very helpful for us. Yeah, that intersection of agronomy and manure application is really a place where we're fairly active because growers could use some help there. A lot of times a grower will, will talk about manure. They say, you know, I think this field could really use some manure. Well, that's like saying, hey, this field could really use some fertilizer. What, what nutrients are we talking about? You know, when you talk about manure, it's everything from cattle manure, which a lot of times is very high in phosphorus on a, a per ton basis, but fairly low on nitrogen versus something like hog manure, which frankly is mainly liquid. But when you go to apply it, it can have quite a bit of nitrogen or poultry manure, which is kind of a balance in between the, the two. So a lot of variation. And even within a species, depending on what they're fed and how the animals are handled, you know, farrowing versus finishing on the hogs, there's huge differences in nutrients. So to me, that's one of the first things you've got to understand is what's the fertility value of this stuff and how does it fit in my operation? Absolutely. That's the first step. And, and I think Chris can, can fill us in a little bit more on how that varies from species to species or how you're feeding them, whether it's the young calves coming into the feedlot that you're just starting out versus that 1,200-pound steer that you're just finishing. Exactly. Um, you know, really, obviously in the region we're in, a, uh, primarily most of our cattle here is finished on open lot, but we even are starting to see a little more um, liquid type manure handling going in for cattle. Um, big difference there. Obviously, uh, you know, your, your backgrounding yards, your, your cow-calf dry lot is going to be a big difference in the value of that manure versus, versus something on a finishing ration. A lot of times we can see that well-managed dryer um, finishing type manure be heck almost two to three times stronger um, than than some of our our backgrounding and and uh, high high uh, high square footage uh, type time type confinement. So one thing a lot of guys don't consider is just the amount of moisture you get over the season. When I say the season, I'm just talking year round. You know, just like our growing season and this year in eastern Nebraska, Mick, we've just been inundated with water. I mean, you've been putting it up with it in your own innovation plots. Our growers have been putting up with it. Some guys have been completely wiped out by water this year. And that impacts those uh, those feedlots as well. Because when you go to scrape a feedlot and clean a feedlot to keep it in condition for your cattle, one of the things you're doing is taking off a lot of the, the manure product off the top of hard soil. Well, when it's been raining like crazy for a month, it's not hard soil anymore. And you're taking up a lot of soil along with that manure, which really drops the fertility values. What's your experience been this year with the fertility values that you've been seeing, Chris? Well, it's to me, Tim, it's looking kind of like the same thing we've honestly seen the two years prior. Um, it all goes back into, into how far ahead that feedlot's planning uh, on how we're going to manage that that product. But really, sometimes you just kind of got to go and get, get manure out of the pens when we can, knowing the conditions we've had this year. Um, like you said, the two biggest contaminants we find in this in manure product that, that limit its value are, are one, moisture, and two, two uh, would be non-manure, you know, your soil soil matter from, your, from the under part of your pen. Um, but certainly we got to manage these pens for, for animal performance, but, but as much as we can favor conditions where that manure is coming out dry and we can avoid that, uh, that extra dirt coming in with the manure, we can, we can really make that a more valuable product and able to haul it a lot further. 
And one of the first things I always tell a grower is before we even talk about, you know, how many tons of cattle manure do I need or how many gallons of this uh, liquid hog slurry should I apply, have you tested it? I mean, that, that's the first thing, Tim. Uh, we don't know what that what's in that manure sample, whether it's liquid slurry or, or solid, till we test it. And the variability within even a single feed yard or a single hog operation can be quite large. So we've got to adjust for that variability when we do get that analysis back. Yeah, that's exactly right. So one of the first things I'll tell you guys, you need to get a good sample, which is not easy to do. When you're talking, a, say, a pile outside of a feed yard or a stockpile that's already been moved out to a field, you got to dig in there a little bit and get some of the good stuff out of the middle. And one of the first things you're going to do is grab a couple of Ziploc bags. The UPS driver will thank you for bringing two Ziploc bags, not just one, and a bucket and a spade. And you dig in there and grab a little bit of manure out of about a half dozen different spots in that, in that pile. Mix it together in the bucket. By the way, bring some plastic gloves too. Mix it together in the bucket. Put it in the first Ziploc bag, seal that one up real good, roll it down, you fill, a, fill a gallon Ziploc bag about half full, and then put that in the second Ziploc bag, seal that one up real good, and now you can put it in a box and send it into the lab, laboratory. But the last thing you want is open manure that people are smelling all the way on into the lab because someone's going to get upset with you. And if you're using liquid manure samples, Black electrical tape around the lid will keep it from leaking. And what you really want to do with that liquid manure is fill the bottle all the way to the top while it's cool and then let it heat up in the UPS truck until it explodes. That's the best thing you can do with it. Or take it to work and throw it in a microwave, right, Tim? There you go. That's a great idea. Freeze it, then try to thaw it in a microwave. So no, in all seriousness, folks, if you're taking a hog manure sample, one of the first things you want to do is, is find some way to get all the way through that pit down to the bottom. Because if all you do is scoop the liquid off the top, that's not the nutrients you're going to find when you go to mix that manure up. So find a, a stick, a PVC tube works pretty well. You can build a sampler. Sometimes your uh, your local extension office might have a sampler that's made for that. Or the folks that said you could go take that sample for you, get through the whole profile of that pit. And uh, again, take about four or five of them, mix them together in a bucket, fill a plastic bottle about two-thirds full, tape the lid well, put it in a box, don't tell anybody what's in it, and ship it to the laboratory. So once you do that, get a good sample, get your nutrient values back. Let's talk a little bit in generalities of what we expect. So to me, Chris, and you can probably correct me here, but to me, if I'm getting feedlot manure and it's of decent quality, I'm probably expecting, and again, I need to test it so I know for sure, but maybe four or five pounds of nitrogen per ton, maybe 15, 20 pounds of P2O5 per ton, and maybe 10, 15 pounds of K2O per ton. Is that reasonable? I'd say that's a good a good range to assume going in, Tim. Um, again, we've seen stuff. That's probably your, your average. I'd say your top end's probably going to be about double that, but but uh, for sure, that's that's what we see a large amount of our samples run around. And the grower could probably expect if it's been fairly dry, so you know you're basically scraping manure off of concrete, it's going to be better fertility values, but there's going to be less total tons. If it's fairly wet and you're basically scraping up a mud and manure mixture along with a whole bunch of moisture your levels are going to be lower. Moisture is huge. I mean, the more moisture you've got, the lower the fertility values are going to be, the more water you're hauling, the more water you're spreading, but you got to deal with mother nature. I mean, and, and like you said, those covered buildings versus the lots, 
when you capture the urine from those animals, you bring up the fertility values tremendously, especially the nitrogen. Yeah, Tim, I'd say most of the samples we see coming out of feedlots right now are, are pretty well hitting that range. Um, we've seen a number of samples come in maybe about twice as high on on, uh, on low moisture and, uh, and, and manures coming in without a lot of soil contaminant, but um, I'd say those, those ranges would hit it pretty well. On liquid, we're probably seeing anywhere on a, on a per thousand gallon basis, anywhere from, uh, well, actually quite, a, quite a, a wide range, anywhere from 20 to 50 pounds of N first year. A lot of samples would probably run 20 to 30 pounds of, of FOSS per thousand gallons and, uh, and, and uh, potassium being just a little bit above that as well. So, yeah. So, Chris, you know, the way we feed animals over the last five to 10 years has changed quite a bit, especially in the hog industry with phytase. So do we see a lot of differences in our manure analysis because of that? Yeah, I would say for sure. Um, you know, typically in his, or looking back, we'd probably see a lot of those uh, phosphorus numbers be, be equal to or higher than our, our potassium numbers on those liquids. Now, we're, a lot of times we're seeing those run probably more around 70, 80% of the potassium level. So that, that ratio has changed just a little bit, so. I've seen the same thing. So a lot of times a grower will say, well, I'm gonna apply liquid hog manure at a three or 4,000 gallon rate. That's gonna cover the nitrogen from my corn. And I'm gonna have enough phosphorus and potassium for both the corn and the soybeans. And generally that is no longer true. You know, we've, we've pushed our yields up, that's one thing. But the other is that phytase is really cut down on the phosphorus that's going through the animal. It's kind of a, Double whammy, right? Exactly. I mean, we used to we used to uh, feed uh, dicalcium phosphate, so we don't do that anymore because we're able to get all the phosphorus out of the corn by using the phytase enzyme. Now that pig, it, it has less phosphorus going into it, and as well as less phosphorus going out the back end because it's using most of the phosphorus out, not most of, but a lot more of the phosphorus out of the corn itself. The efficiency factor of that phytase is is really kind of a neat neat thing that we can see as far as an advancement in feeding. Right. But the negative is the waste product, the manure, now no longer has the phosphorus it used to have. So guys need to make an adjustment for that. So when we talk about, so we've talked a little bit about hogs, you know, and one other thing, Chris, and you, you really brought it up, that swing from 20 to 50 pounds of first year available nitrogen, that lower end's probably more the farrowing operations? Yeah, that lower end, you're probably looking more the farrowing operations or depending on how that uh, manure storage is set up, maybe the second stage of a system. Uh, that top end's definitely the finishing side of things, and definitely as we've seen these hog barns get a lot more water efficient over the last five, 10 years, that, that numbers continue to climb. Yep, so that's a good point right there. Water management is huge when it comes to manure values, and that you know, that might be, you know, how water's handled coming through that feedlot, how the waterers are, are, are in place in that hog building. Did you have a waterer break in that hog building? I mean, we've had huge variation on our own farm when we've had a waterer break and all of a sudden the pit's a lot fuller than we expected and it's got a lot less nutrient values and we need to make some big adjustments. So again, test that manure and see what you've got because last year's number may not be this year's number. Frankly, the building two buildings over may not be the same as this building. So just a little bit differences in feed again, a little bit differences in water management can make a big difference in nutrient values. One thing I always like to discuss when I'm talking to a grower is the nitrogen component because the nitrogen component's difficult with these manures. You've got ammonia and you've got organic nitrogen. Ammonia is all available, but 
you just throw it on the soil surface, a lot of that can cook off and really has no value to your crop anyway. Organic nitrogen, it's more stable. You know, we don't have as much risk of loss, but is it too stable? Is it going to come available for my crop? What kind of conversations do you have around that? Well, we just got to look at those availability factors and they do, they do differ widely. Uh, a lot of times we like to be fairly conservative on availability of that organic nitrogen. We, we usually like to see that that ratio be somewhere around a quarter to a third available first year, depending on if that's incorporated or not. Um, but even I'd say looking at an ammonia side, uh, you know, a lot of guys don't think about it here. We got to pay real close attention to, to how much nitrogen in place, what our CECs are. I see a lot of guys, especially the further west we get on lighter soils, want to want to do that five six thousand rate, um, five to six thousand gallon acre rate of of good strong finishing manure. We kind of got to ask ourselves, will that soil hold that till till April and well into the growing season? Yeah, and my other thing is, you know, this is this is a fertility product, so managing fertility in the crop still holds true, just like we we're dealing with fertilizer. So throwing all your nitrogen up front and saying we're good is not necessarily a good plan. And some of these rich nitrogen fertilizers, like hog manures, a guy gets used to putting down six thousand gallons. He's got 50 pounds of first-year available nitrogen between the ammonia. Let's assume it's injected, so he's got access to all of it. And what we think will break down of the organic, well, he's got 300 pounds of nitrogen he's throwing down all up front. That doesn't make any sense. No, because as you and I have discussed in some of our other podcasts, is nitrogen's a, a vicious cycle, and we can lose that nitrogen very easily depending on what, what Mother Nature does, whether it's leaching or whether it's denitrification, that loss gets to be very, can be very large amounts. And I think a lot of growers don't understand that an average field is going to lose over 100 pounds in per year. And you th start adding that up and, and we're putting it out there really early. If we're not doing anything to protect it, it's going to do the same thing as nitrogen fertilizer does. Yep. When I go visit with a grower and we talk about, let's say, a liquid manure, let's just talk about hog manure and the ammonia value in it. And we talk about, okay, well, that ammonia, that's all available to my crop. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. If you inject that into the soil and, and it's covered and that trench is closed, 100% available. Well, then he says, well, I said, okay, let's go look at your piece of equipment we're putting this down with and let's see what we got. And maybe it's a couple of coulters with a big tube ending behind it and it kind of mixes a little soil with it. And I'll say... You can't take 100% of that. I, you know, some number, maybe it's 70%, maybe it's 80% of that ammonia will probably be there for you. But when you're laying it on the top, and a lot of it's staying on the top and not tilled in, you're going to lose a, a significant portion of it. So we need to take some off that. Definitely. And Tim, you know, some of the data, newer data from uh, different universities, such as Montana, are showing even in cold weather, we're still getting volatilization of, of ammonia. So uh, if we're spraying hog manure, we do it in, when it's cold because that eliminates some of that smell, but we're still having some volatilization on those cold soils. Absolutely right, Mick. Well, so this is a pretty good uh, place in our program to take a little break for a funny farm story. So Chris, I hear you've got a funny farm story for us. Well, when, when we get falls like this, usually get, getting out there, doing a lot of custom application, it seems like nothing ever goes right. And uh, the wetter it is usually, the wetter and colder it gets, the more that likely that is to happen. Um, particular field, not too far from where I live, we are actually spreading for the second time. And it's kind of a low river bottom type field. First year we spread it, 
you know how it goes. Nothing freezes up solid. Uh, field going in is wetter than we definitely would have liked, but the manure is already hauled, so we had to get it spread. You're kind of waiting for that field to freeze up for us to set in to get on it. But then you realize in the colder it gets, this manure ain't staying hot and it's about to freeze into an ice block itself. So second year going in, we, we actually thought we were in win better luck. And of course, first year went so bad, I kind of got an earful from the contractor about <laughs> lining up that same field again. But manure, you know, a field that had kind of been run down with, with your base nutrient levels, he wanted to hit it again based on the response he saw first year. Well, second year, we actually decided we probably weren't going to do it, but then he had informed me he had tiled this field. So he was pretty sure drainage was fixed, got all the corn off, harvested, didn't get stuck once. Well, of course, this field goes in and is going to get spread on a Friday afternoon, of course. So Friday afternoons are typically when things go south <laughs> in a hurry. Or Monday mornings. Not only do things go south on a Friday afternoon, they always go south on the last load of that field getting uh -huh. spread. So I get a phone call right at dark saying, hey, the manure spreader is stuck in the bottom of this field. Why don't you come help pull it out because you live three miles away and you're the one who lined up this field. <laughs> <laughs> so we proceed to, uh, with another four-wheel drive tractor, pull this out for about three hours. We busted two <laughs> straps, um, dug with a shovel and a payloader trying to uh, expose all the tires out of this uh, bunning spreader that's beached about four foot under on on all the right axles. Fully um, loaded. Fully loaded. Of course, you know, you make kind of a mess, but you uh, you engage that spreader if you can, and you dump all the manure out behind it before you <laughs> tighten <laughs> one up. So this is a... there's we a, just talking about manure variation and application? Yeah. <laughs> so there's a 30-ton 30, 30 pile of manure sitting right behind the spreader. And to make everything better, this field is about a quarter mile off Highway 275. So everyone can see the... The equipment beached out there. So your entertainment on their drive yes. home. Excellent. Yes, plenty of plenty of other farm crews driving by, looking at what the neighbors got going on. <laughs> well, of course, it gets to be about nine o'clock, and we've about given up. We've decided we're going to get a wrecker to help pull this thing out in the morning. Um, I proceed to go home. the The only good luck I had the whole the whole night was the vehicle right before me smoked a deer going sixty mile an hour, and I had to help them, and I missed the deer. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily that was uh, another farmer that I met given a ride back to town that led to another manure sale but uh so we proceed to come back the next morning hook up two tractors to the stuck tractor hook up a wrecker and a payloader to the spreader eventually we wrench this whole thing out and the whole time I'm kind of getting the friendly but uh friendly talking to, hey, maybe we shouldn't spread this field again. <laughs> well, it comes to find out, we, we we get the whole rig unstuck. You know, luckily it was the last, we, we got out of there and got to a new field where we can get something done. Come to find out, three days later, I get some pictures. Hey, we wanted to show you the pictures of how much fun we had down there before you got there. Come to find out, in all the activities trying to get this thing unstuck, we had marked up the area so badly that we uh, we didn't really realize what was going on going on with the field. It actually was not a wet hole we sank into. The farmer had added two or three auxiliary tile lines into the same one, and the applicator decided to run parallel to that tile line and sunk the three 
the three right tires on that spreader into the Actually softest the spot line. in the whole field. <laughs> <laughs> so why I still had to take some blame, I was able to shift some of that off myself. Yeah. Did the grower, when he say he tiled the field, say, trust me? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, luckily, if you're in there light, you can kind of see the marks. It was corn stubble. But it's, you know, sometimes you're going off a, a pretty vague map of what's what. Yeah. So is there still a 30-ton pile out there? No. Luckily, the the uh, the dozer we came to clean up the hole had a, was able to spread that out enough. Um, luckily, the farmer was happy. We're, we're hopefully going to be spreading that field a third time here in about a week. In case you're wondering, Mick, the application rate when you spread manure with a dozer is actually a little higher than that 50-ton. Obviously. <laughs> All right. That's a good one. So Mick, you mentioned earlier, you know, we could verberate apply manure. And I, I think that's something a lot of growers don't consider that the same technology that we're using for fertilizer, you know, just understanding the soil test and how it varies as we go across the field, doing a good um, complete sampling of the field, whether it's grids or zones and understanding that variation and reacting accordingly. A lot of growers don't understand that that's something we can do with manure. It's a lot easier on the dry side than it is liquid side, Tim, but it, we're capable of doing both. And it's a matter of having the right equipment and the right technologies to talk to each other so that we can load that variable rate map in and then variable rate apply it. But it is a possibility and it's very important. You know, it's a fertility component as we've said multiple times through this conversation. And let's manage it as a as a fertility component rather than a waste product. And Chris, you guys have some custom applicators that are set up to do that, especially on, on the dry manures. Now those dry manures could be, you know, coming out of a broiler building for a, a poultry facility, or that could be uh, feedlot scrapings or even a lagoon cleanout. But how do you guys handle that on the application side? Well, yeah, we've definitely got a, a few applicators that we've worked with to do quite a few of those over the past, uh, especially here in, in Eastern Nebraska. Um, we really have variable rated quite a few different products with that, everything from chicken litter to to our stronger, more consistent compost type feedlot manures. Um, we variable rated stuff with zones as low as half a ton an acre all the way up to 30. Um, I think really on on making sense of that, it all, it all goes back to the data we have on that field and, and knowing as much as we can about that, working with your agronomist, able to write those scripts and really looking at, at what parameters we want to manage in that field, whether that's P and K levels, um, whether that's low yield areas. Um, we can, we can uh, really look at some of the, the components of manure and, uh, and able to uh, better use the tons in areas of the field that would benefit more than others. And Mick, you and I have worked with the agronomists that uh, write those prescriptions, the, you know, the tech guys that are really good at it. You know, one of the first things I tell them is, hey, this isn't commercial fertilizer, so we don't necessarily need the, the variation on a two and a half acre grid. I kind of shoot a little bit more towards zones. We might still grid sample that field, but then we'll divide the field up into zones and say, okay, this area could definitely use some more phosphorus. This area is pretty good. This area could use a lot more. And we just kind of do it that way. I don't necessarily need the machine constantly adjusting but I'll shoot more for maybe you know three to five zones in that field that are getting different rates and that takes into account the variability of the product that we're utilizing too and uh, you know it, it's definitely not going to be a, a complete program at all times because there are going to be areas out there that we just don't have enough 
fertility value in that manure to get everything taken care of. The other challenge is just, you know, manure in and of itself, the kind of product it is, it's got nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur, micronutrients in it. You kind of got to pick one that you're going to build your application off of. Generally, for me, that's going to be phosphorus. Not a big fan of verberate nitrogen with manure, but generally I'm going to verberate it based off the phosphorus, and that's how we'll build our prescription. But you got to recognize the fact you're also going to vary nitrogen, you're also going to vary potassium just because that's in the product. I don't have the choice of taking a two-bend machine out there and putting, you know, MES or MAP in one bend and potassium chloride in the other bend and doing both of them perfectly. You know, it's poop. It's going to be just what it is. It's one product. It, it isn't. It isn't going to be perfect, but it uh, certainly we can we can variable rate once we figure out what product, what component we're going after, and then variable off of that. Right. You know, instead of just saying, okay, well, let's throw a twenty ton out there. Well, you know, there's that one area where the old livestock facility used to be. It's been getting that twenty ton for the last thirty years. Why don't we leave that area alone and go focus on these other areas over here? So that's an important thing. You know, as we bring manure in and use it more like a fertilizer, we can do a lot better job of being environmentally responsible and agronomically correct in what we're doing out there. And that's what we're trying to do with this. So, Chris, you know, you mentioned a little bit some of those higher value products. And I think, you know, you and I have worked together a couple of times on some lagoon cleanouts. Sometimes those will really surprise guys when you keep dumping that dairy or that hog manure into a lagoon and you keep evaporating the water off of it for decades. That has crazy high fertility. Definitely. Um, we, we've uh, definitely uh, done quite a few of those over the last five years. Um, we see tremendous value. Uh, realized in the clean out of some of those hog lagoons. Um, really, it's, it's uh, a product we can especially variable rate more off of phosphorus or just do a two, three ton blanket rate. A lot of times we don't see that product have a ton of nitrogen potassium value once it's dried, but, but uh, we've seen some of those products test between one and 200 pounds of phosphorus a ton. So, so we can definitely haul that product far and, and realize good value of that once, once it's applied correctly. But uh, like you said, even if you're not variable rating that, um, it has to be applied properly. We can't just go out there and put two, three, five ton on an acre with your horizontal beater spreader, no scales. Um, we gotta have some equipment that can handle that, put that out uniformly. Um, Cause the last thing we need is, is 20 ton of that in one spot and, and none five foot over. Um, just as much as you can really uh, build build your levels on that field. You can create hot spots as well. Yeah, that's always been one of the challenges. Is a guy goes and spreads a, a frozen manure uh, stockpile with an old beat up manure spreader, and he's got pieces out there the size of an office chair, and then none right next to it. And yeah, that gets a little crazy. And they they try to make it even with a disc, but if the disc just pushes the giant chunk in front of it, it's really not working that well, is it? So one other thing I was going to just bring up is, you know, we talk about over-application manure. What do we do about it? You know, what, what kind of ideas do you guys have? You're dealing with a guy and he's just continued to throw it down on the same field because it's right next to the feedlot. What can we, what conversation do we have about, what can we do about that to maybe remediate some of our problems? Well, we look at that field and like you said, I, you see it a lot. Usually it's the, it's the quarter right next to the feed yard. Um, usually when we see those elevated levels, it's primarily P and K. Um, not, not only maybe how do, we, how do we get that number back down, but I guess how do we benefit from that if it's already there? Um, really 
I mean, simply it goes to, to really laying off that for a while, but we got this big uh, bank of P and K. Do we look at taking, how do we take more nutrients off that? Do we, do we look at double cropping that field? Do we look at putting that back into silage production if it's not already there? Um, that's maybe the best way to get those, those nutrient levels back kind of into the ratio we want them. Um, you know, we, we know a lot more about how fields respond to lack of nutrients. We don't maybe understand as much as, as at what point there's too much there, but we definitely can see, see, uh, scenarios where certain nutrients, uh, interfere with the cycle of other nutrients. And maybe, maybe Tim could expand on that as well. So, you know, Tim, I, I, you brought that question up and my mind went to several years back. I was working with the grower scout in his field. Gosh, I'd get out there. And as I started to walk through that field, the, the corn yields would just drop off and I could see it. And so I started to talk to him about grid sampling. We grid sampled that and you could see exactly where his hose ended yep. from his, from his lagoon. Yep. And we started to talk about it. We had, high levels, 500 part per million P yep. down by the lagoon. And as we went away from that lagoon, got stretched that hose further, it got to be less and less. It was a no brainer for him to go buy another thousand feet of hose. <laughs> start at so the other side. He could start at the other <laughs> side and work, the, work towards the, towards the system. So, yeah. You know, the things I think about is, is number one, you know, we grid sample. And I, I love grid sampling. gives us a good assessment of the fertility. But a lot of times when we're grid sampling, we kind of really focus on, you know, pH, phosphorus, potassium, maybe a couple other things. But sometimes we'll skip some of the more in-depth tests, like maybe soil salinity. So I'll, I'll tell a guy, hey, the first thing we need to do is at least do some composites and find out if you've got a, a salt issue out there because those salts can build up over time. And that's a hammer. I don't care what your fertility is. If the plant can't get water out of the soil because it's too saline, you got a problem. So that's one of the first things I want to look at. Another thing is you'll get really high P and K levels, but sometimes the micronutrients will be off, especially on a sand. And we think, well, manure's got micronutrients in it. Yeah, it does, but it's not necessarily a balanced fertilizer that's matching the crop. Right. So it, it's balanced as to, as to what's coming out of that animal and not what the crop uptake is. Exactly. So I'll have a conversation. Hey, let's again, do that complete test, at least in some areas. And maybe we even do it on a grid sample. I mean, that gets kind of pricey, but to be honest with you, you know, you've got great fertility. You don't have to spend anything on phosphorus or potassium. So really your spend, if we focus on something like manganese or boron or zinc, generally zinc's going to be pretty high. But I've had fields that were really low in like manganese or boron. It just seems like we throw that fertility way high in some of these areas like P and K and, and zinc oftentimes. But we're ignoring some of these other micronutrients and all of a sudden they become the limiting factor. So you got to put some more thought into it. It's not easy. And I'll, I'll tell the guy, say, hey, I don't have easy answers for you because, you know, the easy answer is your pH is way too low or your phosphorus value is really low. Well, I know those are going to pay. When we start getting into things where I'm dealing with a feedlot, and like Chris said, these interactions, these different minerals, you know, phosphorus tying up zinc, nitrogen and potassium interaction, things like manganese, sometimes that gets tougher figuring out what those interactions are going to be. But especially as we look at cations, you know, we've got something like potassium out there and we've got a potassium level of 1,200 part per million. Something like manganese or iron, something like that might be an issue. And again, I, some of it's almost more theory than it is uh, proven results. But as the yields start to drop, you got to think outside the box. And Chris is right. 
get a crop out there, get a crop out there all the time, cover crops out there, using the cover crop as a forage, taking as much stuff off there as you can to let crop removal bring you down. That makes a lot of sense too. So for those growers out there, you know, that uh, have over-applied, I'd say the first thing is bring your agronomist in, you know, bring them in, have a conversation, talk to them about, you know, get your yield maps together. What are your issues? Let's go do, out there and get a good sampling program in place, understand the soil. You know, one thing I see with livestock guys a lot is they say, I don't grid sample. I just do a couple of composites because I don't need to grid sample. I got free fertilizer. I just go throw that crap out there, right? I mean, that's what I'm going to do. You know, the agronomy is still the same. And, and grid sampling, just to understand your variation, and again, coming back to where we can variable apply uh, manure might make a lot of sense for you because a, a lot of livestock guys don't grid sample. And I, I think there's a lot of value in that. I think you're right, Tim. I think if they realize what they, they know what they have, but don't realize that they're sometimes putting it in the wrong places. Yep. Let's go back to that laboratory test for manure. So I get a lot of questions from growers about how do I interpret this thing? And you know, we've always got, let's just start with nitrogen. We've got two, generally we've got three numbers out there. We've got an ammonia nitrogen, usually for cattle manure that's fairly small because, and, and guys don't really understand why. Well, here's why. That manure sat out in a lot for months and then somebody scraped it up. Well, the ammonia volatilized off. Also that animal pees on the lot that ammonia volatilizes off. When you get to liquids like hogs, um, then a lot, or these uh, even these cattle barns where they're under uh, uh, slatted floor and it's collected, you know, with other moisture, that ammonia is held pretty well, and we can inject that in the soil and capture that ammonia. And generally, the ammonia levels are much higher. Um, birds are another issue. So you know, chickens they pee and poop out of the same, you know, orifice in their body. So those, those two things are combined and you've got a lot higher ammonia values with chicken manure as well, a lot higher nitrogen in general. We get over to that organic nitrogen and every lab is going to have a first year available. Well, they didn't go test that manure on your farm for this growing season to see how much nitrogen was really going to come available out of that organic. They just apply some set formula to it. It's different every year. And I tell guys, it's generally conservative because none of us like to get our butt chewed by the grower when the corn turns yellow, but there's more nitrogen there on the organic side than that first year available generally shows, but we want to be careful getting too risky with it. Your thoughts, Mick? I know you spent a lot of time in the laboratories. You know, definitely. I think, if you look across the labs and, and lab reports, they're all giving you book values for organic and availability. And uh, does it vary from one lab to the other? Yeah, a little bit, but they're deciding off of book values. What do I use? And somebody in that lab or the agronomist there says, okay, well, let's use this value. And so there is some variability there, but uh, it's all theoretical. And it, it's based off of primarily in, inside the laboratory studies that the universities did at one time and doesn't take into account Mother Nature. So there's a lot of other factors in there that get involved too. What I can confidently tell the grower is his number is going to be some number different than that. Which way it's going to be from that, I don't know. Probably going to be a little higher, but again, also depends on application timing, right? Did, when did you, did you top dress that? Well, if you top dressed it and you only got two months of growing season left, 
Well, you're not going to get that. That's first year available, not first month available. Exactly. So it, it's something a guy needs to think through a little bit. And I go over to the phosphorus, the potassium. So I get a guy, you know, he's used to looking at that first year available column, which is definitely the correct number to look at for the nitrogen. Again, if it's a liquid product, and it's got a lot of ammonia in it, and you just lay it on the top, that ammonia number is going to go away. So that you got to be real careful with that ammonia. You got to understand what you're using to apply that. Or, you know, let's just say that you intentionally lay it on top and you say, well, I'm going to disc it in the same day. Okay. If you get that done now, same day, some of that will still volatilize off, but you know, 90% will probably be there. If it's two or three days, that amount drops pretty fast. I mean, we're talking like 10 to 20 to even 30% depending on wind and temperature per day that they're losing of that ammonia nitrogen. So be real careful with that. Flip side, phosphorus and potassium. I tell them to ignore the first year available number and just go with the total. Because, you know, first year available is not, frankly, when we apply uh, MAP or MES and the phosphorus and that, we don't expect all that to be available to the plant that year. You know, that's part of the phosphorus and the potassium cycle. I tell guys, hey, overall, just use that total number on the P205 and the K20 numbers. Your thoughts? I'd agree with that, Tim. Uh definitely the way to go. It, it's the same thing if we're doing a commercial fertilizer. Yeah. I get to sulfur. I, I move back to the first year available. I say, you know, if that sulfur doesn't break down, you know, sulfur is more of a mobile nutrient. I'd, I'd be kind of focused on first year available. I get to the micronutrients and I throw my hands up and go, I don't know. I mean, again, we're dealing with crap here. I don't know. Don't, don't pretend we have this understood more than we do. Exactly. Well, you know, that's just a conversation I want to have with the growers. He decides to take this, do a better job with this manure, do the lab testing he wants to do, but then let's have a conversation about what a reasonable expectation is for the accuracy of that lab report combined with how you're going to apply it and how you're going to manage it and the things we just don't know, like exactly how things are going to break down. So anything else we need to cover, Chris? I, I think we did a good job of... Uh, what you stated there exactly we got to focus on what's mobile versus immobile nutrients um just like we're putting on potash and 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 your map um you know no-till's definitely changed a lot of things on on how that those nutrients are dispersed through the soil profile yep. if we're in a build mode you know we gotta we gotta put down a good base there but but really take a multi-year look at how that becomes available so mick well chris uh one question how much, how many tons of dry manure can I put on per acre? <laughs> <laughs> the number is like a lot of things. It's between one and fifty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whatever I, whatever I tell you, I'm sure I won't have enough info. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, then it's not necessarily dry manure when it's wet manure because it's been a wet year like this is, and it's half mud. It's probably a hundred, but. Uh, yeah, it gets crazy. And again, the big thing would be tests. And, you know, we didn't talk about the soil test as much as we probably should have because we've talked about that in a lot of past episodes. But again, manage it like fertilizer. If you're below the target levels you want to be at at P or K, well, then apply more and build that thing. If, you're, uh, if your numbers are already high, then cut yourself down to crop removal or don't apply there, one of the two. So, you know, again, we go back to our ability to variberate this thing a little bit. Take advantage of that technology if you can. We can't do that everywhere. And the liquids are tough to do, and especially if you're doing a nitrogen-based application like with hog manure, uh, frankly, probably do that set rate and then come back and supplement other things, you know, where you fall short. Look at your two-year rotation. Look at where your levels are. You know, don't just think because you have manure, you don't need to visit the co-op. Because frankly, supplementing manure with commercial fertilizer is probably one of the best things you can do when it's appropriate. Absolutely. You know, and that will help you push your yields. 
So with Mick Godekin, this is Tim Mundorf, Central Valley Ag, and this is Soil Talk. Thank you for joining us today on Soil Talk. If you'd like to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at ACS by CVA. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Central Valley Ag. If you'd like more information, visit cvacoop.com, and you can see our precision-focused blog videos every Thursday. With Soil Talk, this is Tim Mundorf.